Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. And it is the podcast, the Firefighting in Canada, and uh, Tom DeSorcy with today talking stress and mental wellness and more with uh, Nick Holmesy. Uh, Nick, a, a pleasure to to have you on. Thanks for joining uh, joining us today. Yeah, thanks for chatting with me. I, I, you know, for those that are familiar with you, uh, certainly the uh, the uh, magazine audience and, and those in the firefighting uh, community in Ontario would be familiar with you. And uh, you write a, a bit in firefighting in Canada, like uh, a lot mm-hmm. of us do. You know, I want to talk about after the call, uh, the website and such. But tell me about yourself. You, you're, you're one of us. You, you, you've been a volunteer firefighter and more, right? Yeah, that's right. So I did. Uh, I, I I served my time as it was for a volley department for for a decade. That's kind of where I got my start in this, in a way, uh, and was on my path looking at becoming career. Now I know a lot of people will try to shoot me for what I'm about to say, but I was I was trying to go to school to get my paramedic license and landed in an intro to psych course, and that kind of derailed my original plan and. Uh, and it went from being a college dropout to, to now having a master's degree. So it was a, it was a quite the shakeup in the life plan. But yeah, um, that's how uh, you know, kind of after the call came and all of that. But uh, I spent uh, ten years in the fire service, and, and the majority of that is a fire instructor down here. Um, so was able to train and, and being in the classroom is kind of one of my passions. What did you see back? Uh, you say uh, ten years in the fire service. Yeah. How many years ago was that? So I think I've been out for five years now. So still in in recovery. I, I go in and every now and then I get a little nip of the smell of a fire hall when people bring me in for a uh, presentation. So that always feels good. But uh, yeah, I think 15 years ago would have been the start. I was 18 when I started. Wow. What what did the young 18 year old uh, <laughs> see uh, see in the day and in, in, in say 15 years? I mean, I've been in the service for a long time myself. But what did uh, that youngster see back then and and realize that something something needed to be done where we are today. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and so is, is a, the volley department, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, we see everything that a career would just maybe less of it. Um, uh, so the department that I was with uh, served a stretch of the 401. We had a pretty, uh, pretty abysmal kind of corridor area that we, we covered. Um, plus we had two lakes. So we were kind of, we kind of had a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I think it was within, and I'm trying, my knowledge now tells me that my memory might not be that great, but, you know, trying to think, I think it was within the first at least two years that I was there. Um, and I think within my first year, I saw suicide by train. Um, and so we were called in to do what, like to do nothing essentially. Right. But uh, we were called in to attend. And that was the kind of my first experience with any stress related um aftermath you know you had the typical things that you know we've been fear-mongered into believing are these big nasty red flags but really are just normal stress reactions which is you know you trouble sleeping for a few nights and and you know couldn't really get it out of my head um things felt really kind of surreal it actually you know it felt sort of like i was on a, a movie set in a lot of ways um because i mean you, you've got nothing to you've got nothing to frame what you're seeing right so especially when it's the first time um, and that was really my first, you know, introduction to, 
what it's like to be a volley, especially, but a first responder more more broadly, and and what help was there versus not. You know, the difference being was the tri services are there, so police, EMS, and uh, us, and then uh, you know, so and I think this was in it was early morning, so you know, police and EMS probably would have just started their shifts. I think we would have ran a couple more calls that day. Uh, the conductor of the train got off. He was about to leave on two weeks paid holidays for, uh, you know, with a psych eval before he went, psych eval when he got back to make sure he was all right, right. And that was the huge kind of difference between that call. We went and keep, kept working and this guy, you know, the, the place he was working for was like, this is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty serious thing and we want to make sure you're okay. And that was 15 years ago um, that they were doing that. So, Wow. So was there any point in time where, where you kind of said to yourself, I, I didn't sign up for this? Uh, I didn't have that. Uh, and I'm not trying to sound macho, uh, but, you know, um, that, that call for me in a lot of ways was in, in my head. And, I, and, you know, I'm not even really kind of making this up. This was going through my head when I was going there was if I can't handle this, then I know I'm not meant to be here. Right, which might actually be a wrong way to look at it, but I was 18, didn't know any different. But I was like, I gotta get, you know, I gotta get in there, I gotta look to to see, um, you know, if 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 this is right for me or not. Um, my, you know, so my old man, he's been on, in the fire service, uh, and he was with me uh, on that call too. So I'm lucky in 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 that way that I had somebody that's a was more experienced, but b I could talk to uh, uh, about what was going on, which is different than than many. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of credit, you know, being able to do that, but also just be kind of being young, um, seeing that early on in my career. And I would say, looking back with the knowledge I have now, just some just pure dumb blind luck that uh, things didn't kind of pile up for me because they, they could have. Right. So I will ask you in a moment, uh, we'll talk more about how and why, but tell us about and what is for those that don't know, what is after the call? So uh, after the call, my my thing was once I once I went on and got my degree and then I started my master's degree. Um, this was about the time I started thinking, how do I marry my, the two passions that I had? How do I how do I give back to the fire service, knowing that I probably wouldn't be at least uh, continuing my time in the service for very much longer. I'm I'm hoping to maybe get back into that down the road, but uh, uh, but I thought, how can I stay kind of connected? And so. Um, you know, doing the research for my master's program and, and, and looking at that, there was nothing at the time. There, there was nobody doing any kind of programs that, uh, that I knew about or, or that had kind of the coverage that we have now. So I said, I'm going to take all of this work and effort I'm putting into getting this piece of paper that's going to allow me to do some stuff and I'm going to create something with it. So, um, you know, I started after the call with this idea that I'm going to give evidence-based free mental health support in, in, you know, the little ways that I can, which is kind of forms and, and articles and information. Uh, and I'm going to do that for free because as soon as you walked into, you know, as soon as an organization calls a therapist in or, or a psychologist in, they see big city, big budgets and, um, and, you know, charge an arm and a leg and, and private therapy can be expensive regardless with what you think that we make. Right. So I thought I, I need a, I need a place where people can go for free and, and, and mental health coverage should be free. Um, uh, for for the for the service user for the end user, so um, that's why I started after the call. It started just as a website. Um, it started as me just kind of a place for you know I I figured you know me and five people, one of them being my mom, is going to go on regularly and read and, and doing all of that. And uh, you know that was that was about five six years ago now, and, and haven't really looked back. 
for clarity now, you are a .org, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Does that does that change things, uh, make things different? I'm just thinking from a technical standpoint. It, it makes it easy for people, uh, I guess, at any way to sign up or get involved and, and have a look. But it does it for the operation of it. Is it? Uh, I mean, how do you how do you make how do you get by with? You say you do it for free. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, the website fees and all of that. Um, you know, I, I pay out of pocket, so it, it doesn't cost me too much um, per year. And then. Uh, you know, I do what I can. Obviously, I wish you, you always wish you could do more, but you know, I work a full-time gig on top of this, plus private work and all of the work I'm doing for organizations. So uh, sometimes the website takes the back seat, unfortunately. But you know, I got big aspirations and plans. But for the majority of it, um, what I got up there and, and keep putting out there as best as I can, just kind of keeping up with it. So um, you know, usually if I put an article together for you know Firefighter in Canada or Canadian Firefighter, that's uh, that's me collecting my thoughts and, and kind of trying to put it in something that is you know coherent and, and together and you know yeah you have a good uh, editor read over it make sure you make some sense and then and then I can take that and uh, you know I'll make that a, a an article on the page or make that an actionable thing so somebody can look at it and you know maybe do check boxes or do quick red flag looks or something like this but uh, um, that's kind of how I make it make it work as best as I can yeah. Would you con- would you consider yourself a, a pioneer of sorts in this uh, in this game? I don't know about a pioneer. I've been called a contrarian a lot, and Tom. <laughs> so you know, a pioneer maybe not. Um, I think that there's there's a lot of people out there at this point doing the work. Uh, I think you know the little credit I might give myself because I'm not fond of giving myself credit would be that uh, there's not a whole lot of us as uh, you know front end users first and then therapists second, right? So there's not a whole lot of firefighters or police or EMS that are them first and then uh, the therapist second. So I think that does give me an edge. I mean, you know, I go in and, you know, session one, if I'm talking about my private work, you know, we're, we're shooting the, the gap and the lingo and I don't need to learn all that, all of this. And I also don't need to fixate on, you know, certain death calls or certain other calls that, you know, a typical therapist might see as just part of the cumulative plan where I can say, well, uh, this is this a problem for you or not? And we can move on understanding that not every call we go to is going to be traumatic just because it may be disturbing or upsetting or otherwise. I think that, you know, when I spit, when I mentioned the term pioneer, I think back to some of your uh, earlier uh, columns uh, that I've, I've seen in firefighting in Canada magazine, mm-hmm. where uh, one of the comments you made that I've said from the beginning was that uh, you see something that is, that is, you know, experience or see something that you think might be traumatic and you feel bad about it as you say you, you lose some sleep and that kind of thing. That is not PTSD. That is that people think yeah. that's automatically what it is. Correct. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I I still run into that when I walk in and do presentations or, or other things. My favorite thing to do, and I, I'm this is like my one of my biggest nerdiest tricks in the bag. So I'm giving it up for all your readers. So if they call me, they'll they'll already have the the uh, the answer at the end of it. But uh, essentially, I read out. I said, this is going to be the most boring slide in my whole presentation because it's the only one that I actually read from where I list all of the symptoms that you would typically hear of PTSD. Um, so, and then you get them to ask. So, you know, they have the nightmares and they have the, the loss of sleep and we've got the intrusive memories, all of that stuff, um, flashbacks, and then uh, get them to guess what it is, right? And uh, of course, it's what I'm reading out is the symptomology for acute stress disorder, which nobody really talks about. Um, that's not PTSD. Right. And um, so I think that one of my biggest pushes that I really have 
wanted to do is just making sure that the information we're getting out there is super accurate and in line with the research. Um, and I think that's where I get some of my maybe self-perceived pushback, but certainly where I, I know that I'm not kind of towing the line with, with a lot of other, you know, people that are mental health advocates or, or even professionals for that matter. I get the feeling that it's important to, to be proactive as opposed to reactive. Am I right? As best as you can. I think it's always better to prevent the problems than, than react to them. It certainly costs less in the long run um, to do that, both for the individual, but also for the organization. So uh, the difficulty being, though, is, uh, is how to prevent um, and, and what does prevention mean? Um, really, in, in our, if we're talking about prevention, do we mean absolute prevention or do we mean uh, we're doing the best we can with what we've got in order to try to pad against any potential issues? I think the biggest mistake, too, that we make is thinking that the job is the, the main kind of thing. And I say, well, you know, if it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, we got to wonder what else is piling up on that camel before that straw came, right? And so talking about the whole person and their home life and all of those pieces is really important too, which is one of the reasons why I kind of really demand that spouses be present for any of the presentations I come in and do. You talk about, you know, the career fire service versus the, the volunteer service and much of what we all do is the same. Is that the case in mental wellness? Is it really the same when it comes to uh, to the volunteer side? Well, I think if we're talking about what they see and experience uh, mental health-wise, um, there's a few caveats we can make, right? So the biggest being many volleys don't have coverage, don't have uh, you know any way to go see a mental health professional paid by the organization. Sometimes we have EAPs, but, you know, um, as we might hear anecdotally, much to the chagrin of anybody from an EAP that might be listening, is, is that we feel uh, that our folks aren't being, uh, you know, effectively heard there. And, and that's usually what we he- hear in feedback. But uh, the only other aspects of it that we have to watch for is, you know, some volley departments can go weeks or months without a call. So um, how do you know that somebody's being, you know, kind of shook or, or is struggling with something, you know? Sometimes you walk into the fire hall and there's just a pager sitting there and, and somebody signed out and you could go back to the call sheet and see that this was after, a, you know, maybe a, a call that uh, we could consider upsetting. But but sometimes it's just a medical call that the person that we worked on reminded them of a family member or, you know, in some of our small towns was a family member. Um, and, and that can be enough to, you know, kind of hang the hat up as it were. Versus a career who, you know, could drive an hour or a half, two hours to be in a community that's not where they live and raise a family. And so they might be padded from that. But on the flip side, they're running maybe a couple thousand calls a year. So their volume of uh, exposure is more. So, you know, we could split it both ways to look at the differences. And and I think that uh, the biggest oversight so far is in the research world. Um, and being a part of that, this is kind of where I, I really do push back a little bit is that most of the research for ease of finding people is out of the career places. Um, yet, you know, 80 plus percent of our, our departments in Canada, at least, is, is volunteer based. I think that when you talk about that big number and a lot of people, I think when you talk, when you say about the, the amount of calls you go on, I, I think one of the biggest things is in the small community is that the chances of you actually knowing the person that you are serving, that you're helping, that you're dealing with is greater. And that has to have some impact. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, just thinking about my own experience, um, there, there was, it was rare that we attended 
any call where somebody on one of the trucks didn't know who it was, who it was right? Or, or wasn't connected with them in some way. Because I mean, that the department I was part of is a small town kind of typical volley department, right? So, you know, you're not you're not responding to house number 403, you're responding to, you know, Mr. Smith's place and Mr. Smith's connected to these people or their cousins of these people or, or whatever, right? Um, and, and I think that it can be, uh, it, it can be a really tough part about the volley component that you don't hear a whole lot about, to be honest. You, you travel, you say you get into the fire halls uh, now and again to uh, take you back. Over the years, um, are we doing enough today that uh, the toward the mental health uh, awareness? You're looking to get me in trouble, Tom, or is this just a, <laughs> an honest question? So, uh, I mean, my my blunt answer is no. Uh, however, I'm, I'm trying to be careful to not look at what we have done as uh, inappropriate or ineffective. I think our biggest, I think the biggest problem we had was we reacted so strongly. And I think for good reason to the kind of onslaught that we were finding of, uh, uh, PTSD prevalence, right? And so, um, what happened is we, we went super reactive and we, you know, you, you, you make, uh, WSIB or workplace, uh, only cover PTSD diagnosis, uh, We've got D, PTSD prevention plan, which is a horribly named document that uh, the province impl- uh, implemented. And we have all of those things, which are great. And it needs to be something rather than nothing. But I think the misnomer and sort of getting back to the inception of after the call, which is this idea that mental health holistically needs to be taken care of, because if we want to be preventative, then we really have to send the message that we don't want people to wait till it's the worst case scenario to get help or seek help. And I think that that's what we're doing, probably the po- most poorly in in uh, as things go. But uh, other than that, I think we're, we're we're making steps, maybe just baby steps, and nothing ever moves as quick as you would like it to. But uh, you know, there's definitely room for improvement on how we are looking about things, the information that we're sending out, the education that we're giving, um, in in all of those pieces. And I think something that's really important to me is both a uh you know a, an educator that understands the fire world but also somebody that understands the therapeutic world it's how do we stop ourselves from separating those two even further um to get them more in line with each other so we are actually talking to each other and not kind of around each other is you know we mentioned stress i mean is that too broad a term uh, for what we deal with biologically it's a good term i think like the mechanisms are a stress mechanism but it just really sends the message that stress is the problem and it might not necessarily be it's just a factor um so i think that when we look at when we look at stress we really have to designate what we mean is kind of this distress like this over and above a normal reaction that we would expect from any given call um how do you make that in one kind of word that sounds great and looks good on a card or a banner i'm not sure yet i haven't worked that you know algorithm out but what we have to look at is um, the stress load maybe um, of the individual over their whole lifetime, which is it poses a problem because an organization doesn't really have, you know, other than we talk about the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the fire service, I can't speak for the other services, um, but we, we are kind of moving away from that family like connection with each other. 
um, and the organization seemed pretty distant. You go to the 24 hours, you hear the folks, you know, they used to go out and grab a drink after work or hang out and do family stuff. You work these 24s and now they go home. So I think for the stress piece, we have to really talk about what do we mean by stress because, you know, working in MVC is stressful because I got, uh, I got a golden hour to get this person out of here. So is working a medical call where I'm like, you know, ho- wishing I had more training and maybe I did go on to do that paramedic course to, you know, a structure fire, which I'm just being expected to work at a high level, high demand for hours on end to try to save somebody's property, all of which would be considered stressful, of course, but normal stress and amongst what we've experienced all, all kind of all of these years versus the stress, which people mean, which is the stress that pushes over and above. You know, I call it the ceiling effect. So we've all got the ceiling of that stress that pushes us over and above that. That makes us more vulnerable to any kind of mental health related thing and not necessarily just a disorder because sometimes I can just be struggling or languishing with my mental health. That doesn't mean that I have any disorder or anything identifiable um, to go at, which then poses another problem, which is now I've got to wait, right? I've got to wait till it becomes something with a name so that I can get some help. Um, and that's the wrong message, I think. I think in the volunteer world too, the the average everyday stress of life in general uh, gets interrupted to go to a fire call. I think people uh, have obviously the tendency to bring that stress with them to that event. Well, you're, you, I, I think you're right, and in, in you bring it home with you again, right? And so we call it that that kind of cycle, which is if I'm in the middle of a spat with my spouse, my my exit plan is the pager going off. But then how do I react or be empathetic or, or be free from that bias of that, you know, that frustration and anger, and especially if it's a serious one or if it's ongoing. And then I'm asked to enter a highly stressful situation and try to keep my cool. And then that's done. And I go back home to the stressful situation where my partner or spouse or family member has been sitting there that whole time just stewing in it. Right. So this is what I mean by trying to understand that there's there's more than just the job that we have to look at if we want to keep people mentally well. For those fire departments, uh, those members that are, are listening today that may not, uh, you know, there, there's a lot out there uh, in terms of a choice. When you're navigating yeah. that mental wellness highway, there's a lot to choose from. And for those that, that maybe uh, need some help making that decision, where would you suggest that, that people start? I, I think, you know, one of my biggest critiques is the siloing of the mental health support. And, and so I, I can understand that. I think what we want to, what I would like, what I think people should look at is whether or not the services that they're engaging have the evidence behind them. So we are lacking in this realm, which means for certain kind of pieces, we, you might have to go without that. But what you want is to, that to be research informed. There's a lot of people that believe in a lot of different things um, because it made one, two, 12 people healthy, made them healthy. Um, they believe this is what would have helped them. Um, but when we start to put, you know, hundreds and, and thousands of people together, are we going to find the same benefit? Um, so when, and, and I think that's something that people need to pay attention to. What's the evidence that we have for it? What's the program based on? And is that evidence-based? Not nearly, not not necessarily just best practices, because best practices take years and years and years to establish, and then by then, you know, they could be out of date, right? But but is it evidence-based? Do we have research behind what we're doing here and why we're implementing this? Do we have ongoing kind of checks and balances for those those pieces? I think that that's really important 
um, for people to look at when they're looking at services. Um, because as you're right, there's lots of choice. And I think the people with the loudest voices or, or the, the connections that can make these connections tend to be the people that draw the, the most, uh, kind of the most traffic. Um, and if that program's a good program, then that's okay, right? But that might not necessarily be a program that's based on any relevant evidence or um, uh, programming that's uh, research-based. If people want to, to get more information from, from you uh, personally, I, I believe uh, they could reach you through the, uh, through the website, afterthecall.org? Yeah, they certainly can. Uh, I've gotten rid of most uh, of my social media stuff. I am on Instagram because I just like uh, pictures of firefighters and dogs. So I just hang out there all the time. It clouds my judgment less, but uh, they can reach out on the website. Happy to answer any questions uh, that people may have uh, if they're looking for any more information, if they've got some questions about any research or whatever. I'm not, uh, I'm not a researcher or anything like that, but I spend a lot of time nerding out in the doc in the, in that field. So um, maybe I can point them in the right direction of, of where to find some more info. The biggest thing we can do is have a conversation, and I thank you for uh, for doing that with uh, with me today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Nicole Massey with AfterTheCall.org, uh, and it's worth a, a look on the web. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.